You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before with insight from some of the best in the business of reality television, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, game shows, and much more, from the challenge to rhythm and flow to the real housewives of Dallas. If it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted television with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes among my credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who make unscripted TV and documentaries, true crime, game shows, not just something you watch or you consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Today, I thought it's a good time to bring on two of the best directors of photography, directors, camera operators in the unscripted business. We're going to talk about the adjustments that camera operators, the camera department, and directors, directors of photography, are having to make now in the age of COVID-19, as well as how best to bring out story and style in reality television. And with that, I will introduce my first guest. His credits as director of photography, director, or camera operator include such shows as Making the Band, The Challenge, Love and Listings, Family or Fiance, Ghosted, the rap game flipping out one big happy family where I met him and College Hill. Please welcome Jason Ninja Williams. Ninja, thanks for being here, brother. Oh, thanks for having me, man. That's a great intro. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> man. Camera, camera Ob's DPs directors have so many credits, I had to pick out a handful. <laughs> yeah, I hired you. <laughs> right on. Um, moving on to my second guest. According to IMDb, he is the Swiss Army Knife of film and TV production. For over 20 years, he has produced, directed, DP'd, or provided the production services for hundreds of TV episodes, films, docs, music videos, commercials, and corporate and product pieces. His credits include Sticker Shock, The Dude Perfect Show, TMZ Investigates, Tiger King, What Went Down, One Man Army, where he and I met, Fantasy Factory, Win, Loser, Pawn, Storage Hunters, Sheer Genius, Gene Simmons, Family Jewels, and he also produced the amazing film Peanut Butter Falcon with Shia LaBeouf and Dakota Johnson. Please welcome, from Cincinnati, my hometown, Dave Thies. Dave, how goes it, brother? I'm good. I'm 6'6", but 6'8", with hair in the program. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm, you sound like I'm getting ready to come out into the basketball court. Took, took I, me back yeah. to high school. Yeah. Like, day. Right? I know. I, I like, that's how I like, I like to, to build up my guests. You know, I, one, the reason that I, I started this podcast is because I feel like uh, the people who actually make unscripted content deserve to have a light shined on them. Dave, tell me yeah. a little bit about your kind of philosophy on bringing style to a show, because I think there's a misconception about reality TV that you just turn cameras on and start rolling. When I when I was getting into the business, I always thought National Geographic, I grew up watching their documentaries and their shows. So I would always ask myself, what would National Geographic do? My first yeah. project was a bike doc called Into the Divide, which is now going to come out for the first time ever this week. Uh, hopefully, if all these elements upload properly um, on Amazon. <laughs> nice. Um, but it's one of those things where I had never held a camera. I literally sold an old convertible that I restored because I was a professional bike mechanic in Cincinnati and was working with a guy that was named John Stamstead, who's number one in the world for endurance mountain biking. He goes, I'm going to set the world record riding from Canada to Mexico along the Canada Divide. And I was like, all right, you don't need a mechanic. I want the filming rights. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> bought a camera bought a camera on a Wednesday and on a Friday was flying up to Roosevelt, Montana with 60 hours of tape, five big batteries, some stuff to figure out how to charge it in the car, and another buddy of mine from out here. And it was in three weeks of intense film school. Looking back at it now, I watched the project, and you guys I'm sure can agree, I knew nothing. I'd never held a camera. I didn't know what exposure. I didn't have audio. <laughs> that any of it turned out, that I even got picture and sound that was exposed and had could understand stuff blows me away. you know. And it's, so it was one of those things where while I was out there, I was shooting a bunch of wides, and all of a sudden, I was like, God, this is boring. What would that geo do? I literally remember asking myself that in my head. So I started climbing trees, walking out into streams, um, hanging out of cars. Um, and it really just kind of formulated that go at any cost to an extent, safely, mind you. Um, but it was just kind of figuring out what the project is and going, what's unique? What's cool? What haven't I done? What do I want to try? Um, and then there's conversations, obviously, with the creative. You know, especially if it's on a show that's been going on for a while and you want to kind of breathe new life into it, A, to keep yourself excited about doing it and to challenge yourself. No pun intended there, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I think that brings up a great point, which is the balance between story and style. Ninja, how, how much does that go into your thinking? Because story ultimately, you know, is going to, when you get it to post, is going to guide everything. But as artists, you guys want to bring an amazing style, an amazing look to a show. How much do you guys think about story as well? I mean, it goes all the way in. I mean, they have to be together and interwoven, I believe. Um, every time I do anything, I make sure that, you know, what is the theme of the show? You know, if it is something that is supposed to be abstract, then I can do a lot of things that are non-traditional. I want my visuals to line up with the story and not distract from the story because we're trying to tell whatever the subject matter is, you know, you want to be connected. You don't want to be disconnected unless that's what the approach is supposed to be. That's what everyone's looking for at the network. Um, you know, a lot of times I get into a, a series that has been on for a while and they're like, Hey, we want you to come in and change it up and do something different. And I, and my, Usual response is, well, is it going to detract from the storyline that you're trying to yeah. tell? Are you sure you want to do something different? Um, because different in my mind and my art and what I do is very moody and dark. Um, yeah. 
So um, is this is this the vibe that you want to go for? And usually what ends up happening is they end up wanting to do what they've been doing the entire time. They just, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's just like, so, but I generally like to stay in line with what the story is, you know? Um, yeah. If it is a show where you need to see, you know, people two eyes all the time or, um, you know, the lighting has to be, you know, like a hospital, <laughs> you know, you want to keep it like a hospital. Um, right. You don't want to have it be like some back alleyway type lighting. Um, try to like marry the two together. Um, I don't try to have them separate. And what about you, Dave? How do you kind of you know link up story with style? Well, I think it's, it's conversation and somewhere around 2010, you know, so many camera operators, you know, come up, then become director of photographies. And in reality, story is so much driven, obviously, by content. And, you know, I ended up switching over to director DP, you know, good DPs that are in reality that fully understand reality and understand the dance. Let's talk about the dance for a second. When you come onto a show and you have two other operators, it's a three camera shoot. There is a ballet that goes on with, you know, not talking when you've been in a way. And it's a cool thing that when you can get onto a show and never have danced with someone, shot with someone and walked around and you guys still don't even need to talk. Like that unwritten rule of how to cover mm -hmm. with three cameras or even two, you just look over and look at someone, maybe flash them a you know, two shot, or you can look at the way their lens is angled. If it's slightly down, yep. you know they're wider, you know, and you can just kind of see what they are. That's if a director, quote unquote, is not watching monitors somewhere. Right. Um, so creative wise to get in, talk to production, see what they want. I now am at a point where it's me, my gear, my crew, or I'm not necessarily interested in the show. Um, and reason being is when you work with someone for 10 years, you have an incredible shorthand. And, you know, when I bring my gear, you know, whether it's Sony F55s, FX9s, FS7s, you know, Zeiss Superspeeds, whatever, 20 to 120s, whatever the lenses and stuff are that you want to use on that show, I bring all the toys too, the Ronins, the, the you know, the drones. and to be able to get that shorthand because production will say, we want this look, but you only have an hour to get it. Well, that doesn't work, you know? And so it's like, if you bring in crew that you've worked with all the time and you come up with a look and a feel, you know that you've got an AC that's pretty much a junior op that you can trust, that you want to give an opportunity to get up and start getting some hands on, you know, on that stuff. So a lot of times, you know, the EPs that I work with will say, this is what we're going for. Do what you want. Tell me what you're going to do, but make sure you can get it done in time. You know, so a lot of times, or you get those EPs that come in and say, I want it to look like this, but you only have an hour. And you're like, well, that's not <laughs> I don't know <laughs> anybody know? like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, let's, t let's yeah. talk about that evolution of the cameras, the tech, right? Because we've seen, I mean, all, all three of us, you know, have been in, doing this for a while. And, you know, we were, we were working with, you know, some pretty basic gear, you know, back in the early 2000s for Jason. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the how, how much easier it is or even just how much more fulfilling it is to be able to work with better lenses, better cameras, more cameras, drones, things like that now, as opposed to when you were carrying heavier cameras, working with, um, you know, uh, lower level tech um, back in the earlier part of your career? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot has changed. I mean, you know, 
the amount of gear that you're able to bring on set now or just for running gun type shows you know back in the day we were carrying around these tapes that were the size of books you know <laughs> the size of novels and um you know you'd have you'd be out on the fly and you'd have to carry 10 of those tapes that would run like an hour long and then you had your batteries that were the size of like actual bricks um you know <laughs> yeah and um you know so like there was only so much that you could carry and like so that limited the amount of gear that you would have because you needed all the support that you could have to make you know the gear the camera actually work so you weren't able to carry multiple lenses and like um a gimbal system um or even a drone like i mean the drone drones weren't really accessible in the early 2000s like they are right now the, the everyone going into the card-based system has like actually freed up so much um time and space um for like camera assistance and just being able to like do a lot more um with carrying more gear around especially on these run and gun type of projects um but like going from and you know a camera where you couldn't really put a, any prime lenses on and i remember we were like at one point we were doing stuff with pd 170s you know you couldn't run filters on those things you know yeah, no mac yeah. box um you know now we can actually run around and be mobile with you know what i would use on you know car commercials or like film sets we could we could run around with a, a you know like i was saying before the 85 or 300 you know with a map box and some filters and you know whatever else we needed to like get the shot in a different way in a more vibrant way um you know we have access to bigger sensors and like better color profiles and it's just like it's technology has helped us out a lot because it's gotten a lot cheaper and you know the workflow has gotten a lot easier you know like just recently sony come, came out with that a7s3 just like last week and you yeah. know we're talking like we're talking what the alexa mini was doing five years ago but way cheaper you know and um and now yeah. it's like, okay, who's who's gonna go and buy an Aria Alexa Mini when they can buy that A7S III, and have like cheaper uh, cheaper glass and get quality imagery? So like, I, I think these companies like Sony and Canon and you know what have you, making it easier easier to be accessible to you know smaller budgets um, to make these different visuals happen. So Dave, let me, you're, you're gearhead. I, I'm always asking you what the latest tech is. Are you, yep. do you find that networks and production companies want the, the latest tech? They want the best looking gear, um, no matter what it costs, or are they worried about spending that money, you know, because it may, you know, it may cost a little bit more to get the look you know, that, that is a little bit more high end. You're seeing productions. Well, every production doesn't want to spend money. And <laughs> that's not a knock at them. That's just yeah. saying that it's changing. There are so many avenues and outlets right now that budgets are actually coming down and right. quality they're expecting to go up. Um, so I have so many conversations with people that are like, oh, we need two Ronins, we need this small jib, we're gonna need a drone, we're gonna need this, uh, I need it for a week and I need it for uh, $2,000. Yeah. 
And you're like, well, okay, that just doesn't yeah, work. Right. <laughs> you know, figure out what you want yeah. and we can make it work, you know, or they want the latest and greatest and they don't want to pay for it. Um, right. The other, the other avenue <clears throat> is there's someone at the production company that knows better than you. It's some guy that's a weekend warrior or girl that has decided to read a couple of articles and all of a sudden wants to use a specific piece of gear and you ask him and you're talking to him and you're like, yeah, okay, well, it doesn't work that way. I can get you the same look without compromising my feel like this, this the small cameras the a7s and stuff exactly what he's saying you can get huge looks out of them but as an operator i you know when people are like oh we want to do a handheld scene i'm just like no that's not me you know if you want to make <laughs> yeah. it a b cam or a c cam and put it on some sticks and we get it going but all of a sudden you're building yeah. out this this rig on your shoulder that has a separate power supply that's got wireless transmitters it's got this and then I'm slammed with some BS eyepiece and it's menu system that's a still based menu system. So when I need to do something quickly, because I don't work on it every day, I'm not fast. So anymore, when someone, you know, goes, oh, I would like to, and I, I'm just like, no, I'll, I'll take care of it. Tell me what you want. Tell me what the look is. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. Don't tell me to use an yeah. A7 because you just read an article about how great the A7 was. Let me worry about yeah, it. know how to apply it. Yeah, like, like people don't know how to apply these things. It's like they yeah. think that it's you know you can use any camera for any situation, and that's not the case. And I, I totally hear you. I get tons of people that try to like beat me over the head with, uh, oh yeah, we we're, we're gonna use this camera, and I'm like, well, why? Yeah, because uh, we because <laughs> we bought it, and I'm like, well, yep. I wasn't the one in that decision. Um, yeah. for this type of show or the project that you want to achieve. And that is not the right piece of gear. I mean, you're asking me for, I mean, you're telling me to use a knife for soup when I need a spoon, <laughs> yeah. you know? Here's, here's so, a, great, a, great, a great comment on what you just said is, I will get a call from someone that's going on to do a production company and they're like, we're going to come to you for gear. I'm like, okay, cool. What do you, what do you got? Because, you know, I'm at a point also now where I'm running, you know, gear to shows and I'm not having to go out on them and making a little money and just like, cool. Um, but I'll get these calls where someone will go buy a camera body for say 12 or $14,000. And they're like, okay, they own the cameras. I'm like, cool. Do they own a, you know, video 20 tripod that cost you $14,000? Do they have the battery <laughs> set up that's going to cost you another 6,000? Do they have the lens that is going to cost you 20 to 40,000? And then they go, well, no, they just want to rent it from you. And it's like, well, why would I rent you all the stuff off my camera and then leave me with a body here? And then you want all that gear for free. It's like these production companies that get into the gear business, but then don't want to spend the money that we've all spent to get into the gear business, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they want everything for free. And it's like, you know, it's like that tripod that you're throwing around right there. Like it's nothing. It's 14 grand. You know, it's like, yeah. have a little, have a little bit of respect for it. The other, the other comment that I want to make, I was talking with someone that was on a show, my cousin's out on a show in the last couple of weeks, and he's like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe it. Production lost uh, a hard drive and lost all the footage from four days. What? And I go, I go, I go, wait a minute, dude. I go, we've been doing this stuff for 10 years now with cars, basically. There's no exception to say we lost data. Because when you dump yeah. it at first, it should be going to two drives, and those two drives should never be in the same place at the same time. And like production, mm -hmm. like when I'm going home and like we're on a travel show and I go, okay, go to FedEx and overnight that. 
They're like, well, why? We're flying home today. I go, oh, you're going to take both drives on us? I go, I hate oh. to be morbid, but if the plane goes down, they don't care enough about <laughs> yeah. us. Where's the four days of footage? You know? Yeah. And they're just like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And oh. I'm like, but to hear someone that they lost four days of footage because the drive yeah. corrupted or something, I'm just like, I want to say it was even, they hired, no, this is what it was, sorry. They hired a PA to be the DIT to save money. Mm-hmm. Oh and the DIT wiped, DIT wiped cards because he didn't have a system in place. And oh. I just said, I just said, dude, there's no exception for that in this day and age. That pick, you know, I always say it's made up of, you know, TV shows made up of picture and sound. If you lose either of those, story doesn't matter because you don't have the camera angle you needed to tell that story. So it still kills me that productions are trying to save money on things that are necessity. What do you guys feel like? So Ninja, I'll ask you this. What do you feel like is the biggest misconception about the camera department, about whether it's being a DP, being an op, being a director in your world? I feel like, you know, that I, I'll, I'll set this up. I, I had a discussion once with an agent about what I was doing on a very small show that I was actually show running and directing. And I was trying to explain mm-hmm. to her, I was trying to explain to her why I deserved more money. <laughs> and I was saying, well, I'm basically mm-hmm. doing two jobs. And she was like, there's no director on your show. And I said, mm-hmm. well, no, I, I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm telling, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking at a monitor and I'm telling the cameras what's happening and, you know, where, what they should do and where they should go. And I'm planning out each day what we're doing. And she said, but there's no directors on those types of shows, just in the, the voice in shows like that. And I said, you really don't understand how these shows work. And yet you're an agent (laughs) in unscripted television. So I do feel like there's a, a big lack of understanding of what cameras, DPs, directors do. What do you feel like people should know about your department, about what you guys do? The thing that I like come across the most is how like if I'm if I get a call and they're like, yeah, we need you to DP this. And and I'm like, okay, is there a director? And the response is, no, we have a field producer. Yeah. And I'm like, um, that's not gonna work. Because if I'm the DP, I need to see that my look is being executed. Yeah. And that's how I pretty much got into DP directing and why I stopped shooting. Um, because I was tired of like not knowing if my look that I had plotted out and lit and like, you know, storyboarded for was being executed. And I started realizing that it wasn't because I had people that didn't know anything about visuals calling shots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, so I had to like pretty much just say, I'm not taking any more shooter DP jobs because I don't know what's actually happening um, right. from the other cameras. I think the biggest misconception is like DPs are supposed to shoot. And I think yeah. that's wrong. That is totally, totally yeah. wrong. Um, if you're not gonna hire a true director, then your DP should be directing the show. Um, on monitors, yeah. On monitors. Um, because it just it just doesn't, you're not going to get the look that everyone's talking about, that the network is like so excited about because you have a field producer or even an executive producer who is not really that visually gifted um, calling <laughs> shots. 
Yeah. Um, wow, that hurts. And that hurts. No, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's, I'm it's, just kidding. It's like, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, I know, I know you, I know you're kidding, but like, there's, 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 there's some great executive producers and supervising producers that understand, you know, visuals. But if you have someone that is hired to create a look, they have to see that that look is being executed, not the other people that are around that know the cool hip words and things about like knowing what a lens is, but not knowing yeah. how to execute what that lens actually does. Um, and knowing what every, every single indicator on the monitor actually means. Um, and just assuming that, oh, because that's, you know, like, you know, sometimes you'll be in scenes and you, like someone will walk from inside to outside and I will be working with a, you know, a newer operator. I'm like, did you change the color temperature on your, <laughs> on your camera? Because I didn't see any adjustment, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, um, and like, you know, the people behind the monitors would just be like, Oh, just watching TV. I'm just watching yeah, TV. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then, you, you know, your, your vision has been lost. It's, you, it's not executed. And then you get the notes from posts, like this is this, and this is this. Well, because the people behind the monitors aren't DPs, aren't right. true yeah. directors. Yeah. So, know you know, I at. think the biggest misconception is that whole thing of like DPs that have to shoot and like, no, if it's a DP that's doing a one man band. Sure. Yeah. But when you add other cameras into the mix, uh, uh, no way. I, I once watched an e, I once watched an EP go from one side of the room all the way up to a close up holding onto the camera because he told me he could shoot. <laughs> and I stopped and I said, can we have a quick conversation? I go, you never once touched the uh, focus ring. He goes, oh, no, it looks great. And I was like, <laughs> okay, it's your show. But I was like, can we not have you shoot anymore? It was the funniest thing. It was like a 40, it was like a 40, 50 foot run up into a close up on a face. And I was just yeah. like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, but, or, you know, or it, how about this? It, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, you know, you, you just reminded me of something else. Like, we'll be shooting. You know, I'll have a series where like everyone's on F55s and some producer will be like, oh, grab the iPhone. Uh, we need to go get something. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. You just completely obliterated the look of the show. Completely. Yeah. You know, <gasps> like, wait, not wait, to... there, there are cameras that you can mix, but that is not a camera that you can mix with a 4K camera. I'll give you a quick not to not Kanye West. Um, but I got called to do a multicam live performance of Kanye. Um, and we show up at four in the morning to start getting this stuff set up. Probably four times over the next five hours, we said, it's off, it's over. And then they come back, go, just stay here, just keep here, set up here. Finally, he shows up, walks up with no one. It was just me and three other people that have been sitting there since 4 a.m. My crew had gone to get something to eat because they all thought it was done. And he just walks up and looks around, introduced himself, totally nice, totally professional, not like bow down to me, was super cool. And then while we're standing there, four huge trucks pull up. I've got one truck, you know, and all of a sudden these crews pop out and whole PA systems are bouncing out. Um, uh, three area Lexus are coming out. Uh, Steadicam ops coming out. hundred dancers come out. And this was something that I got called in the morning, like, hey, we need you here now. 
Um, and they have all the stuff pop out to shoot this music video now, which turned into a music video, whereas before it's just supposed to be a music performance. Then this, I, this kid comes up to me, probably 23 or 24, and he says, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm the uh, cinematographer. I go, oh, cool, you're the DP. He goes, no, 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 dude, cinematographer. And I go, you know what the difference between a cinematographer and a DP is? I go, about 15 or 20 years in the business. I go, no, what do you need? So we go through all this. Long story short, so your iPhone thing, he comes running up to me 15 minutes later and goes, I had already put my cameras away because he's like, we're not using that. He goes, Connie just had a vision and wants to shoot all this on iPhones. We need everyone's iPhones. So he's got hundreds of thousands of dollars of gear, probably a million dollars of gear out there. And the Steadicam guy was like, what? And he had balanced everything. He put a little thing on top of his camera and mounted the iPhone on there because he's like, I can't mount an iPhone. You know, he's like, just mounted it to it. And they shot this whole thing. The guy took my camera. I still probably have all this footage on my phone. Um, I don't know if this video ever came out, but it was so funny because all of a sudden it went from, we're shooting on Aria Lexus to, we're shooting it on iPhones, let's go. Um, that was a long story, but it was, it was funny. It was funny just to sit there and just go. And just go, okay. Uh, but then the kid's telling me he was a cinematographer, and I was like, oh, cool, you're the DP, and he corrected me, and I was just like, cool. <laughs> oh, goodness. Good, good luck. Jeez. You know, it, it was funny. Wow. No, it was, I, love, I love telling that story, then it was all shot of them. Yeah. It's so bizarre, though, that that, that that happens. It's like, you know, like you're hired to create, uh, to generate a specific yeah. type of look, you know? Yeah. And then you degrade it with, you know, a consumer a consumer phone. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's. Like, I, I mean, it, it is like what it is when it like, if they change it, so that's on them. But like, well, if, when you're I trying to someone match, said, I'm still getting paid for all my shit, right? Sorry, all my gear. <laughs> and uh, they're like, yeah. I'm like, cool. I'll go sit at the monitor. <laughs> I didn't end up having to do anything <laughs> except give my iPhone up. I was like, hey. hilarious. Be in Home with Hunker is a podcast where we visit with designers, artists, and creatives in the spaces that express and shape their identities, their homes. If you love design and decor, if you're curious about how people live, or if you've been transitioning or transforming your own home, you'll love these honest conversations. Join us weekly at Being Home with Hunker. Visit hunker.com forward slash podcast where you can find, subscribe, and listen to the show. I want to talk now about COVID-19 and how that's affecting uh, cameras, how you guys are doing things. Ninja, I know that you're in the field right now. What are the mm -hmm. protocols on your show? How is that affecting your process? Um, I mean, the, there's a lot of protocols that are, I mean, I feel like they're great. Um, they should have been in process from the jump when we first started doing this stuff. Um, it's actually not that difficult. I think the first day where the handing off of cameras was a little strange because we basically, the AC or COVID cleaner would pretty much do a once over on all of the uh, gear, disinfect it. And then the AC would prep it and then bring it to a place where it needed to be. And then at that point, the COVID cleaner would clean the gear again and then the operator would pick up the camera and operate. Um, so, I mean, that's 
kind of a longer step to actually getting to shoot anything. Um, and then once the camera operator is done shooting, the camera operator puts the camera down in place. COVID cleaner comes in, cleans the camera off, AC picks it up, takes it to where it needs to go. That's a little, you know, a little bit extreme, but it is what we've been do what we've been doing to actually keep everyone safe. Standing further away, which I have always loved. Um, I remember when I was coming up, when I first started shooting, um, this operator, Erica Shusha, really gave me the good check. She like basically said, I was like, you know, pretty new and eager. I was a junior operator and I was like all up on everyone, like just trying to cover everything. And I was yeah. like maybe two and a half <laughs> feet away yeah. covering people. And she said, Ninja, you want to give them some room to breathe? <laughs> and I was like, ooh, ooh, cut me deep. Can you let some of us, but, can us, some of us play? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, like coming up, just like, you know, learning, all right, you know, use your lens. And like, and that while directing all these other shows, I've always helped people, use your lens, use your lens, use your lens. And now we have no choice. You know, you can't be on top of people. So if we're in a tighter situation, it's more of a wider lens. But if we have the room where, you know, we're using, you know, we're shooting at the 200 millimeter part of our lenses. Um, you know, we're shooting from a lot further distances away, which is nice. So, you know, your backgrounds fall off in a more dramatic way than they have before in these types of shows. You know, it's, it's you know, everyone with the mask and the communicating. I think being here in Texas during the summer is, has been the biggest challenge because it's so hot. So you're constantly yeah. sweating and it's humid. And you've got the mask in your face, so you're changing the mask like three or four times a day because we're using these disposal ones and they get a little soggy when you're sweating like that. <laughs> so it's like having a wet rag on your face all day. Um, but um, I mean, for like coverage and like just general run of show, it seems like pretty easy. Um, it, it just it hasn't been as challenging as I thought it would be. You know, I, I remember years ago I was doing a show in Mexico and, you know, we were just like wearing bandanas over our faces because we thought it was cool. And um, <laughs> we were, you know, it was like we were like working the night shift and like just wearing like looking like gangsters. And now it's just, I mean, we're doing it in the daytime and it's just like because we have to. And it's it is what it is. It's, it's actually not that challenging. Did you guys I'm I'm curious, did the crew quarantine? for a period of time before filming started is there any level yes. of okay can you talk a little bit about the protocols in terms of are you limited at night to where you go that sort of thing yeah i mean that's that whole the lifestyle of being on the road is very different now um we had to quarantine for two weeks um before we did anything you know coming to set no one can shake anyone's hands it's like you know, everyone's kind of giving the head nod and distance away. Yeah. Um, eating lunch. Eating lunch is actually the most dramatic thing now. Uh, and there are more vehicles on set because of it. So basically, everyone is relegated to their own vehicle. And lunches are eaten in vehicles. Wow. So everyone's eating by themselves. So what happens is production goes out, gets lunch has a table set up and people are called to the table to get their lunch and take their lunch and go into a vehicle, turn the AC on, 
listen to the radio and eat that way. So there's no real socializing on set anymore. Huh. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, you, you, we keep each other laughing through the walkie. For, um, yeah, but I, I bet. People aren't, yeah. So people aren't around each other as much. Um, you know, when we're building out like tech rooms or video village, video village is like two people. Um, yeah. that, in some ways three. that's better. Yeah. In some, yeah. Some ways yeah, that's better. yeah. 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 You get to like actually be in it versus like hearing everyone's voice and opinion about what's going on. You know, being here in Dallas, you know, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll be in the area. And I didn't realize it until I was here. I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to be going to work, to home, to work, to yeah. home. And every now and then I'll go to the grocery store and then back home. And that's like not what, you know, the road life has been like for, you know, all of us, you know, we get to go to yeah. these new locations, exotic locations sometimes, and really immerse ourselves in the culture and the environment uh, of where we are. And that's not the case now. Um, because if you're going out and doing stuff, you have a chance of getting this entire production shut down. Right. Um, so there's a lot of personal responsibility and a trust that goes along with this new way of doing things uh, until we figure out a vaccine or something better. Um, but, you know, we get tested, and, you know, temperature checks and, you know, it's um, it's different it's very different and it's almost like wow i could have just like gotten a job in la you know and just yeah, like yeah. been in my own space you know where sure. i have all of my own things but you know it's it's definitely you get a lot of like time to maybe write and create other things like you know your own personal projects and build upon them um but the connection that you have with your crew and like the location isn't the same. It's very, very different and isolating at times to be really, really honest about it. Do you feel the quality of the product is suffering or do you feel it's still the same? I don't think it's suffering. I think it's actually better because then like on this show, the cast can really be the cast. They don't have the influence of like having a bunch of people around them on top of them, noticing what everyone else is doing. Cast is not distracted now. I think they can really dive into themselves and really give the best product. I, and I think with being a creative, you have to just figure out ways to be able to still capture um, these moments. Um, and and because like, you know, these are, I, I, you know, they're like, they're not like 20 year old kids out like doing spring break stuff, you know? So they're not sure. running around like crazy people. So. That being said, you know, we have the ability to like do like prime lenses in reality while these women are kind of just walking around and, you know, because they're not really running. They're just like doing, they're, they're, they're just limited in what they can do. So it's easier to like cover certain things because it's not so frenetic. Uh, Dave, yeah. for you, how are things changing on your end? With COVID nineteen, I through my company, I ended up building a live remote truck that we literally just finished. We had shot a Netflix stand-up comedy special in October with it, and we were supposed to shoot another one in March. And this stuff hit and essentially just shut everything down. 
on that truck, I had a uh, an instant replay system made by a company called VMix, and VMix has kind of become one of the leaders in being able to do remote call-in type um, shows. So I ended up learning that stuff inside and out. So like you mentioned on the, my wonderful intro, um, the Tiger King special that I did for Fox, Harvey Levin from TMZ, he's got a production company. Outside of TMZ, he'll produce these specials. And a few years ago through Telepictures, I was connected with him and started DPing and directing all of his shows kind of outside of the TMZ world. And I got a call from production down there that said, hey, we just got a call from Fox. This was a Monday, uh, right like the first week or two when all this stuff hit. And they said they want us to do an hour special because of Tiger King and how all this stuff's just blown up for people while they're in, you know, that thing, that show overnight was huge. So I was like, okay, well, let me talk with, you know, your tech guys down there. Because obviously TMZ's got a control room and live view systems. And I was like, how are we going to do this? So I got on the phone with them and we talked about it. And at that time, we ended up doing majority of these through Zoom and recording the Zoom feeds. But talk about hard directing and DPing a show where you have no control over anything. So I would get on the call with these people that we're interviewing 10 minutes, 15 minutes before and um, literally go, can you swing your camera around or your phone around? Let's try to find an interesting background. Okay, now, do you have a lamp that you could go put behind? And I was literally just trying to imagine what they potentially had in that house or that I saw in the 360 that we did to try to then formulate a shot uh, using a camera that's on a computer, using audio that's coming from an iPod, uh, AirPod, you know, whatever. Um, And we did 17 interviews over four days, and it aired a week later and did 3.7 million whatever it was it was a big special oh. and it was it was like just a whirlwind and the way we worked is in I've, at my house i've got an edit suite set up and i just left zoom on all day and i would be going about my day i would get a text from production going oh we just booked so and so uh in 10 minutes you know so i had to run back and jump on and then talk to these people and try to do it um and then we would go into the interview and Harvey would take over and do the interview. And then I would just, you know, cancel my camera and it just mute camera and, and audio, turn the camera off and just watch. So it was, it was like film school all over again on how to get people that have never held a camera to understand what you're asking. Um, yeah. Wow. And so then from there, now I've kind of become, you know, at the forefront of that within my community of people that know that, I've got this system, and we've been doing a lot of remote interviews. Um, Steve, I think I sent you uh, something for a, a Cincinnati Reds documentary. Right. That yeah. the two friends of mine back there, um, you know, that shoot we actually set up in the building in the back here because I had a green screen set up, and we shot a Rick Springfield music video that was literally just him in front of a green screen. And thankfully, it was like everyone was super respectful. I said, here's the thing. This is not a music video set. You're coming to my house. I'm helping you guys out for a favor. I'm not really making any money. You know, do me a favor, get tests. We will all be in mask. You'll be in a mask until you're on camera. And as soon as you go to step off that, I had the camera so far back that I wasn't worried about it. Um, And then we had Nick Lachey come over, uh, set him down in front of the same green screen, 
set up a Zoom call to the director in Cincinnati. I set that at eye level height for Nick and they just had their conversation. But it was one of those things where I could set the camera and then go walk away. Nick kept his mask on until he was mic'd. The audio guy had his glare shield, had his, you know, thing. And it's like we adhered and, and came up with some pretty good things to follow. But we've done a ton of remote stuff. I'm consulting on a, a, a big corporate piece right now over the next 10 weeks. And they're all over the world, but it's all on the computer. So I basically, yes, and I, I screen share into their system. We set up the settings on the computer. Uh, we sent them cameras. I walked them through how to do it, how to set the green screen up. Oh, you've got a window I can see coming in here. Do you have blinds on that? And it's just really gotten me quickly to dial in sets as if I'm on a set, but I don't have a gaffer and I don't have people that understand what I'm saying. So it's made me dial back and learn to kind of talk to people again. And it's, it's crazy the sense of accomplishment they have when they're saying, well, look, I'm not computer literate. I don't understand cameras. I'm like, we're going to get through this. Um, so for me, I've not had to leave set, but I've had to adapt into making people uh, crew, which has kind of been fun, but it's been incredibly uh, challenging. Dave, I wanted to ask you, um, I think it's interesting for this audience, even though this show is no script, no problem, and it's about unscripted. Um, you know, you were a producer on uh, Peanut Butter Falcon, which is a fantastic film for people who haven't seen it. Um, but the way that you were a part of that, you were instrumental in helping it get made and you used a right. lot of the skills yeah. of being an unscripted camera operator, director of photography to help it get made. And I thought it would be interesting for you to tell the audience um, about how you used those same skills um, working with the producer, the other producers, the the writers yeah. on the film. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, six years ago, maybe even seven years ago, you know, I had done a, uh, in the last 10 years, I had done a commercial for the Olympics for Visa. I was the director of photography on. And then we had also had done like 10 online digital pieces that were athlete bios. And I met an editor on there by the name of Michael Schwartz. And, uh, we became fast friends and had done a couple of small projects together. And he called me up probably seven years ago and said, Hey, I've written a script. Now I'd never known that he wanted to be a screenwriter director. He was just always an editor. And, you know, we enjoyed working together and he goes, I read this script. He wrote the script. I'm going to send it to you. I said, Oh, okay, cool. Send it to me. And I didn't read it. I didn't read it. And he tells me it's, it's about this kid who's got down syndrome who runs away from a group home because he wants to become a professional wrestler. I'm like, Oh, that sounds interesting. And like two or three months go by, and for whatever reason, I didn't want to tell him the script was bad or whatever. He calls me up. He says, read the effing script. And I was like, okay. So I sat down and read the script, and it blew me away. I was like, how is this first-time writers wrote this thing? So I called him, and I said, dude, I'm in. You know, I laughed. I cried reading a script. This thing's amazing. And he goes, okay, cool. We want you to produce it. And he goes, uh, what do we need to do? And I just said exactly what you're saying, Steve. I go, well, here's the thing. Coming from my unscripted world, I would produce a sizzle reel and put some, uh, put a little book together to say what the show is, to figure out what the movie is. And uh, so we came up with, I said, let's go shoot a fake movie trailer, um, which is now called a proof of concept in, right. when people talk about the movie. Um, and so he was like, cool. That was like middle of July. He said in six weeks, let's go. So myself, one of my, um, at the time, 
um, he was kind of an ace. He was a PA that was from Cincinnati that was kind of moving up to AC. Um, they would handle a lot of my gear. We filled up my Sprinter that was painted like the A-team, and they drove from California all the way to the Outer Banks. I mean, coast to coast. And I flew in and met them. But we loaded up the Zeiss Superspeeds, the F-55s, the Ronin, the drone. Um, I own audio gear, which I don't know how to use really, but thankfully uh, I pulled it off out there. So it was just myself, this kid, Andrew, uh, Perry, Michael and Tyler, the directors, and Zach, the uh, star of the film who has Down syndrome, who the movie was written about. Um, so we went out there, and at times I had the audio bag between my legs, and he was, uh, Andrew was booming, Mike was holding reflectors or whatever, and we just shot this proof of concept, this fake movie trailer, that turned out really well. Tyler, the director, played Tyler, which then went to Shia LaBeouf. Um, but we, we basically, I just treated it like reality show of, Hey, let's go get something that we can go show people to then try to get money. Um, jump forward years later, the maybe first day of shooting was all this stuff out on a, uh, a beach that like out on an Island that when the water came in, it was only like 10 or 18 inches deep, but it looked like you could walk across the ocean. Um, it was a super hard day. It was a hard day to start a film on because you had to have boats to go out there. And it was like 1230 at night and I was walking back and Shia was sitting outside of a trailer on steps. And I had met him, but hadn't really talked to him, you know. Um, and I just stopped and said, hey, how you doing? You know, I appreciate you here and, and doing all this stuff. And he just looked at me and goes, you shot the proof of concept? And I said, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see it? He goes, see it. He goes, I watched it like 100 times. He goes, that in my mind, that's what that's what made me decide to do this film. Zach was so pure. And I just, I, I asked my my people, I said, is that kid in the film? They said, yeah, he goes, I'll do it. So it was a really kind of rewarding moment to, to know all this hard work. I mean, I was standing on a boat with Michael holding on to the back of me because I had a vest on to hold the Ronin to get all these boat to boat shots for the proof of concept. And the proof of concept, you would have thought we had a big Scorpio head on a crazy thing out on the boat in the ocean. And there's literally, I want to say there's probably a photo somewhere of me standing there holding the Ronin on the front of this boat and the drive, the guy that was driving the boat doing this like perfect circle. Um, so that all just kind of came to head, but it was all based on my knowledge of how do we go get it for not a lot of money and just doing what we need to do to get the shot. That's so. the name of the game in reality television. How, yeah. do we do, yeah. how do we do it without a lot of yeah. money? So I, exactly. I, I always love, yeah, I love that story just because I think a lot of times in, un, in unscripted, we, uh, we, we don't get a lot of credit for making, making things happen. Um, even though we know that we know that we do, but people don't give us a ton of credit. And I always love hearing that story because well, it's, you're, it's, yeah, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you because, uh, we had an amazing DP by the name of Nigel Block, but he's one of those guys that comes from all these big movies. And when he found out that I had shot the proof of concept, he was super funny and was just like, mate, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm here. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, why aren't you shooting a film? I was like, ah, oh, you know, first time directors, you know, whatever. And he was just like, the, the boat stuff was amazing. I told him how we did it. So we tried to go do it one day and we shot Anamorphic. And all of a sudden he's loading up snipers and all this stuff and i'm like dude I, I can't have all this stuff on the ronin i need to balance this out and keep it as small as possible that's why i use the zeiss and it was just it was just failing and he was like get that thing off my set 
Um, and after the film was done, there were still a couple of shots that we wanted to get and we knew we could get them. So the movie was done and we just, Mike, Tyler, myself, and Zach and Shia went back out to pick up a couple of shots, which in the end, in the opening shot of Shia on the boat, um, and we're shooting boat to boat, is just me back with the spherical lens, not an anamorphic, doing it the way we shot the proof of concept. And it was kind of fitting to the last shot that we actually used in the film, that we shot for the film, was back to the way that we had shot it with just no, no crew. Um, I did have an AC pulling focus on that at that point. When I did the proof of concept, because I didn't have an AC, a first AC, you know, first AC pulling focus, I just did what I knew to do and stopped way down so that my focus throw was more like three or four feet, not six or eight inches on the super speed. And, you know, it was just kind of funny. And then there are a couple of shots from the proof of concept that made it into the feature that, you know, we shot on the Aries, but I shot on the F-55s and no one, I, you can't even tell me what shots shot, but there was boat to boat stuff that we couldn't do. Um, and I ended up flying the drone and doing all the water and underwater work in the movie. And, uh, the DP was super cool. Nice. Well, yeah. I know you both uh, are busy and you both uh, have lots to do today. So I just want to uh, wrap up with, um, you know, I know you're both veterans and there's lots of young people, you know, who are probably coming up in the industry. What advice do each of you give to whether they're an AC or even a PA who are want to be camera ops? They want to be DPs or directors. Ninja, what do you tell young people who want to who are coming up in the unscripted industry i mean i usually tell people to pay attention when i was when i was coming up i knew that this person was the dp this person was the ac and you know it, you can't you can't operate without ACing usually um so i made sure that whoever the ac was that was really great at what they did I paid attention to what they were doing and how they were, how like they became great and like how they were recognized on set as being great. So like generally paying attention to people around you and what they're doing to get that reputation of being great will help you move along faster versus like, you know, socializing and like hanging out with people yeah. um, and not really paying attention to what's going on on set um, and knowing why people are doing certain things on set. Um, I think a lot of times people just get wrapped up in doing what they're doing um, and not really look at the whole picture. Um, just that general awareness of what's going on around you will help you move along a lot faster and a long way. And Dave, you, you've done a, a really good job of kind of grooming uh, several uh, of your, your favorite uh, people to be, whether it's an op or uh, audio or tech. What do you tell people who are young and trying to come up in the business? Well, you know, on, on set at 20 years old, 21 years old, don't go hand me a card that says you're a director of photography. You know, you didn't buy a 5D and now all of a sudden you're a DP. The guys that I have groomed and the guys that I've brought up that are all doing really well in the business right now were people that came to me and said, hey, I want to go into the camera department. Can I ask you some questions? The ones that are interested in what's going on are the ones that I go, don't be afraid to, when you're a PA, to go, can I be assigned to camera? Because go for what you want to do. I'm also a strong proponent to say, if you're a PA, work in every department. Work, you know, work in the office one one show, 
work in audio if they need an assistant work you know so that you fully understand how a set works um but then once you dial in what you know you want to do don't be afraid to ask david kaplan i met him on a show in salt lake utah and he was that kid that came to me and was like very knowledgeable and was asking questions and those are the types of guys that when we go out and shoot b-roll i'll shoot a couple of shots that i know that we need and then i'm like wow me Let's talk about it. Ask questions. Don't be afraid to not ask questions. You don't know everything. I don't know everything. I'm not afraid to ask questions at this point in my life. You shouldn't be. Um, so when I see those kids that are up for saying, hey, can I come play with gear in your uh, shop? Yeah, come on out. You know, can I help clean up so I can learn? And you just talk to me about what each piece of gear is and how it works. Yeah, come on out. So the biggest thing is don't be afraid to ask for help. But don't come in as a know-it-all because that's the biggest turnoff. And that's the biggest thing where I'm like, okay, you know, this guy doesn't want to learn because he already knows everything. This guy or girl, sorry, I didn't want to say that. Um, and, you know, you're seeing a lot of people, the discipline in a reality shooter, especially when it comes to handheld, is some of the best in the business. And now you're starting to see those people jump into scripted and get into those nice scripted shows. There's just so many people that are jumping over to scripted because script has realized how strong the handheld operators are in the reality world. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really cool to watch a little bit of merging going on right there. Ask questions and don't be afraid to work hard. And, you know, people will reward that, you know, don't be a know-it-all and uh, be excited about what you're doing. Buy some gear, practice your craft on your own. Bring in your demo reel to me. Send me a link. Say, hey, can you look at this? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? That's how you learn. I still do that to people. Hey, can you check this out? Tell me what you think. That is a good advice for everybody. So I think that's yeah. a good place to end. Thank you both for joining me. This was a great discussion. So uh, appreciate the time. No problem. Yeah. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Real. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another edition of No Script, No Problem. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Bleave.com and at Bleave Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. You can also write a question if you have one, and then I'll answer it on the show. Email those questions to no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for the audio hookup. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.